Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A dream mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason, because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up, and welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach. I work with leaders, creators, and innovators, those brave enough to build their dreams. If you're a high performer looking for an edge with a desire to expand your leadership, generate more money, more time, and feel more fulfilled, working with me will support you in making that life a reality. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and please share this podcast with a friend. Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova, and today I have a father, a husband, the host of the Rising Man Podcast. He is one of the founding fathers of the Conscious Man Brotherhood with Preston Smiles. They also have a program called Man Cave, which is awesome, that every man should check out. He also does rites of passage work uh, and men's retreats, vision quests, and he's going to tell us a lot more about that. I am super excited to welcome Jetty Azuma to the podcast. I was a guest on his. It's awesome to have you here on the Dream Mason podcast. How you doing, man? Yes, bro. I'm doing so well, man. Good to reconnect with you a little bit farther down the road and uh, excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, you do, you've been, we've been bouncing like, emails or instant messages back and forth trying to like, hey, can I get you on here? You do some, yep. you talk about and do things in your business and your life that are not what I do. And it just really piques my interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, looking forward to the cross pollination here. That's how we all learn and grow. Nice. Well, let's start with just so people, you know, I get, I kind of talked about like some of the things you do. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get here? You know, you, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't born into, you know, into this work. How did you actually get to this place? It's really funny, man. You know, I won't go too far into my backstory, but I grew up in New Jersey, seven miles as the crow flies from downtown Manhattan, New York City, uh, suburbs, mom and dad. Uh, my mom is Italian. My dad is Japanese. Uh, very, very typical suburban upbringing, I would say. I was an athlete. I was a scholar, really good in school. And so religion, spirituality, uh, introspection, personal development was not a part of the first 20 years of my life, period. Um, but when I got to college and I was looking for something that I think, I think a lot of us experience this where we're, we're looking for something more than just what we've been fed. And for me, what presented itself and, and intrigued me the most was Buddhism, meditation, mindfulness, consciousness, all of those types of things. That was my doorway in. So at the age of 2021, 20, my friends from college and I, who had who were all experimenting with meditation and that type of thing. We started to have these conscious circles where we, we invited people together to, to have, have essentially have a community forum once a week. And we would sit around and it started with five of us at a dinner table. And it became, sometimes we had 50 people in a room 
on a Wednesday evening, just chatting about life, nothing specific, just chatting about life, real simple agreements. One person was a facilitator. Everybody listened while one person spoke and that was it. And from that point, it really planted a seed. I realized that it was important for me to always be in community, always be sharing, always be growing and reflecting. And that got me through college. When I got to graduate school, I was going to school as a physical therapist and uh, came out of school with a doctoral degree, 23 years old, living in New York City, making money for the first time, like real money for the first time, no responsibilities. I just partied it up, man. And after about a year, year and a half, I just started to feel empty, uninspired. Like, what is, is this really what my life is about? Am I just going to do this for the next 20, 35 years, you know, however many? And what happened was 25 years old, I left everything. I left my job, saved up some money, said, hey, family, I'm leaving. I've never been farther west. I've never been to the West Coast before. I said, I'm going to go to California and start there and see what, what happens. And my intention was to find men who could help and lead me on my journey to becoming a man and discovering what that was, as well as to find a place where I would live and someday raise a family. But that was it. Other than that, it was just my intuition that led me out of what I was doing in New York City and into something else. So I had a lot of experiences that just following breadcrumbs, really, you know, following one experience to another informing, being informed of who I am along the way. And then, you know, one thing led to another and here I am. There's a lot, there's a lot to fill in there. I know. So I'll let yeah. you decide where you want to go. Well, it's super interesting. Cause when you started, you know, you're talking about college and I'm like, man, this is not what my college experience was like, was not conscious man circles. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know a lot of guys that were having that experience in college. You know, my, my college experience was a lot more into like the sports aspect and, you know, chasing women and not being conscious at all. And uh, well, don't get me wrong. We were doing all of that too. <laughs> yeah, but there's something awesome about that. You had this, you had something that actually sounded like it was really important and really valuable and really developing. And then it was kind of like you went, you kind of like then dipped. It was like you were doing something that probably a lot of men have never done at a young age. And then it was kind of like you almost reverted like it sounded like the typical college experience, like partying it up and then being like, wow, that's, this is it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that really resonates for me. We've talked about my story. And, well, and the thing that got me really interested is when you were like, who are these other men that you found this conscious community in college? It just seems so unique. And what college was this yeah. also? Where were you going to school? Uh, I went to school at Ithaca College, which is in upstate New York. It's in the same yeah. town as Cornell. So a lot of people have heard of Cornell, one of the Ivy League schools. Um, who are these men? I, honestly, they're still my greatest friends in the world today. Uh, I have nothing to attribute that to other than fate and destiny. There's a lot of reasons why we wouldn't have ever met or come into contact with each other. A lot of reasons why we wouldn't have clicked. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, very diverse culturally, ethnically, um, in some ways, philosophically, spiritually, but yeah, something led us together. And, uh, they're my, they're my best friends today still. So it's, it's one of those divine things. I can't really explain it. And, like I said, you know, we were, we were in college, we were, we were having these conscious circles and we were still partying and going out and drinking and chasing women and smoking a lot of weed and having a good time too. So it was, it was something that we could all feel was waiting for us in the future. You know, 
being in community together, growing together, making an impact on the world. But we had no idea how to get there. We had no clue. It was like the blind leading the blind. And we just kept leading each other down, you know, down different roads until, and that was why I had to leave New York because we all moved to New York after college and we all were living together literally under the same roof. And I was like, guys, we have no idea what we're doing here. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having a lot of great experiences and, and, and we're, we're making progress. We're not the men we were yesterday, but I just felt I needed more. And, uh, you know, we've all stayed friends and all stayed connected to this day. And for what reason, all I can say is it's a common vision of raising kids together and making an impact on this world. You talk a lot about not, I mean, you mentioned it a few times here, but I know in like the work you do with the rites of passage work, the work you do with Preston Smiles on Man Cave, um, the Rising Man podcast itself, just in the name, there's a lot of your energy and a lot of your attention or consciousness is on what it is to be a man. The, mm. and what it is to be a conscious man more than anything. Mm. What is that? What does that mean? I don't, you know, I think that it's more prevalent now than ever in our world, mm. but I think most people still don't know what that means. What does it mean to you? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this question, man. And you know me, I'm, I'm what you see is what you get. So full transparency, the word conscious, like even saying conscious man mm. triggers me. It still triggers me, but I understand it a little bit more. And here's why. Because like everything else in our culture these days, especially in social media, we hear words like conscious and toxic masculinity, these things that get thrown around and then they get thrown into the mix. And before we know it, we don't even really know what we're actually talking about. So I realized, and I actually, I went into deep inquiry with my, with my bros a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were all in Joshua Tree for a retreat together. And I said, hey guys, listen, I know we're using the word conscious in conscious man brotherhood, and I got to say, it triggers me. And so we went and we went in for like an hour. And I, I, what I came to is that I didn't align with how some people use that word and uh, what it actually represents. And I was missing, I was, I was getting away from what it actually means to me to be conscious, to be aware of oneself, to be aware and, and have vigilance over how my actions, my choices, my thoughts are influencing the world and the people around me. To me, that's like the clearest definition of consciousness. So when we say someone is conscious or not, I'm either paying attention to how I'm influencing people around me and, and impacting my environment, or I'm not. And we go in and out of consciousness. Nobody gets to be a conscious man. And then you're conscious, like, like you get like a certificate and boom, you made it. Way to go. Hang it on the wall. It's like, no, you go, we go in and out of consciousness. So to me, it's more of a target. It's more of an objective to be a conscious man. I don't call myself a conscious man because that's how I am all the time. It's like, no, I'm just committed to being as aware as I can of myself and my actions so I can keep impacting the world in the way that aligns with my vision and my mission. That's beautifully said. Oh, thanks, man. I thought, I thought a lot about it. <laughs> so. No, clearly. Well, no, it's, it's funny because I it's everything. And we all have these trigger words, right? And... Mm. I love the conversation about toxic masculinity because it is, it is being thrown around and I've been on this podcast in my life. I've been having that conversation around like what it's, it often people get, people get really defensive about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, this is a good, let's actually look at it. Let's actually mm -hmm. look at it. What it means. Every man has been toxic. Every woman has been toxic. Like we're human beings. We're not perfect. But mm -hmm. what does that even mean? Um, and I love how you broke down like, hey, we're, none of us are walking around like 100% conscious all the time. Mm -mm. We're creatures of habit. We're creatures of behavior. We respond. We react. Even the fact that you're triggered mm -hmm. identifies that something is going on beyond your consciousness. 
Yep. You, didn't, you know, until you hashed it out, it wasn't that clear. Right. So, and that's great, man. Let's, let's talk about toxic masculinity for yeah, a second yeah. too, because here's my issue with toxic masculinity. I hear toxic and my experience of toxic is poison. My experience of poison is that it will kill you. So anything that I view to be poisonous is automatically makes me think of this is not a good thing. Not for me, not for anybody else. I don't want toxic masculinity anywhere around my family, around my son, around my, my wife, my, my people. So here's my problem with it is we throw around words like toxic masculinity and people start to describe what it is, you know, living unconsciously below the line, watching a bunch of porn, smoking a bunch of drugs and drinking, et cetera, you know, being promiscuous with their sexual lives. And all of a sudden I'm like, there's this connection. Those people don't belong. And that's bullshit. That's complete bullshit, man. Are we going to exile people from our communities because of the challenges that they have that most of the people who are talking about toxic masculinity have been through themselves? Mm-hmm. And I think they don't realize it because we can, I know for me, being where I am in my life right now, I still have to consciously go back in my life and remember what it was like to be in that darkness. And so I come from an angle where I don't want to put distance between myself and a man in his darkness. I want to lean into it. I want to understand it more instead of saying, ah, oh, dude, you're, 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 not, you're a toxic, you got some toxic masculinity going on. Step back 10 feet, please. Um, and, and, I'm, I'm, and maybe it's a broad stroke and obviously I'm bringing my own opinion to the mix, but words like toxic masculinity, words like a broken man, when we talk about men are broken and they need healing to me, that's bullshit too. Cause then what do we start identifying with that we're damaged goods? Yeah. You know? And I, I, I just don't resonate with that either. So I think that's the problem is that we're looking at people and we're putting definitions and labels on them that that, that we don't realize the influence and impact it has on them. Because if you see, if you listen to a podcast about this stuff and then you're like, oh, I do some of those things, I'm, I'm bad. Oh, uh-oh, I don't belong, yeah. you know? You bring up a really good point too because it's like the, the difference between labeling it and calling like a behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think labeling a man as toxically masculine is probably really hurtful and, and, and just a, it's just a divider, right? They might as well be anything that isn't, we're not saying is accepted or good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even, or unconscious or what was the, um, what did you say is the other one? Um, broken, broken. Like, same mm-hmm. thing. Whereas same thing bad, right? I used to think of myself as bad. There was like bad Alex. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a different way to look at it as like, it's separate from us. Mm-hmm. There, when I think of toxic masculinity, I don't think of, old Alex was toxically masculine. I think he did some things that, that were toxic, right? Like mm-hmm. they actually were poison. I think that when we behave in a way that is untrue to ourselves, it mm-hmm. causes stress. It causes anxiety. It causes guilt, shame. And those things are toxic in a way because they make us sick. They, phys- they can create physical symptoms within us or mental symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. But I love your point about what I, what I really heard you say is people aren't toxic or broken but some of our behaviors m- might be, and that, and that's totally different. I don't know if you have ever heard like the Brene Brown, when she breaks down shame and guilt. Yep. It's mm-hmm. my favorite. I love that. Cause it's so Brilliant. simple. Cause I don't, right. Like guilt is I did something wrong or I did something bad and shame mm-hmm. is I am bad. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to be like, Oh, I did a bad, I me- if I messed up, I can go clean up my mess. Sure. But if I am bad or toxic, or there's nothing to clean up. Yeah. I'm just, 
Well, and this is good, man. This, let's let's lean in a little bit more because you, you're talking about some great shit here. When we when we talk about the shame and the guilt because of something I did, right? Because of a behavior, because of an action, I associate. I feel shame, and I experience shame, or I experience guilt. Here's the question: Why do I experience shame or guilt? Why do why do I even feel guilty about doing some of those things? Sometimes, and part of it, I believe, is because we know that it's not in alignment with that inner inner voice, right? And then to me, that's not a bad thing. I, I, I view that as information. I would say that if I do something that is out of alignment and I, I'm so tuned in, I can feel it in my body, I get sick, I get depressed, I'm like, wow, this doesn't work for me. That's good information for me to have, okay? That's from within me. The other side of shame and guilt I see that we, that happens in this, in this dynamic is the beliefs of everyone around us. I'm bad because they say so. I'm bad because my mom, my dad, my teacher, my coach, my older siblings, my grandmother, somebody told me that this is a bad behavior. But why, like, why, why do we even associate bad with something? If we, just, if we hold it as more neutral, as effective or ineffective, information for me as to what resonates and what vibrates within me, because I... I really have that belief that every human is innately born with this singular drive to be of service in the world in one way or the other. And all of the beliefs that we, and the experiences that we have start to diminish that flame. They try to, the world tries to diminish that spark and our journey, our hero's journey is not to let that flame dwindle and to rediscover what that flame is all about and then, and then ignite it and pour gasoline on it and, and then set the world on fire in a good way. But not, not all of us can get there. And so this, the shame and the guilt that we experience that's outside of us, I believe, and this goes back to the toxic masculinity, is something we all get to take responsibility for. We all get to be, if we want to be conscious, let's be conscious of what we're saying and how we're influencing other people by the things that we put out into the world. Especially now, right? Like with podcasts and Facebook lives, you never know who's watching and what you're saying and how it's impacting them. Yeah, no, I... Those are great, great points. I love the, the, the idea. Well, I love how you, just how you shape it and you kind of keep expanding the conversation. Mm-hmm. There's something I appreciate about you in general. Um, a lot of my mentors talk about when you're having a conversation with people as a leader, you want to swirl it up, mm-hmm. right? If you agree, if, if I just go, I agree with you or disagree with you, we kind of just like stop the conversation, right? We mm-hmm. can just fight, but like it kind of either puts a top on it or it pushes it back down. And something I think you do really well, and I think you're doing it here, which is something that I think leaders in general can look to, is how do we add to a conversation? Put more in, expand it, make it bigger. And because then anyone can jump in, right? And add more fuel to that fire. Yes. Yeah. That's huge, man. That is so huge because in my mind, like the, I'll give you a little inside look into my brain, how I operate. When I come up against these questions that, uh, to me are more of a dialogue than a decision, right? I'm always in, in, I'm always in inquiry. I'm always in curiosity to the best of my ability where I bring it up to like that swirling up is how is this being of service to my great grandchildren? Like way up there, like that's way in the sky, right? If we're talking about the Iroquois nation, um, a lot of these indigenous peoples, everything that they did, all the decisions they made were how would this affect the seventh generation from now? How is our decision on whether we're going to go to war with this other tribe or if we're going to make peace with this tribe or whether we're going to continue to live in this region of the country or find a new place? How's that going to affect not just our grandchildren, but our great, great, great grandchildren thinking that far into the future? And I, 
I really believe in my heart of hearts, if, if everybody was thinking that way, the whole world would look a hell of a lot different, no? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, God, it's such a, it's a, imagine thinking seven generations down or even two generations down, right? It's yeah. even hard for us to think like to next week for ourselves. Yeah. Um, but none of these things then become good or bad. They become like, will it serve? Will it serve our, you know, generations further down? Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to kind of turn a little bit, but it's, this is the thing. This is one of these things that you do. Um, you recently put a conversation on Facebook that I saw mm-hmm. and you know, like, I'll be honest, most things I see on anyone's Facebook, I'm scrolling through, like, I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of time. I don't spend a lot of time on there. It's like, I'm looking for, for sure. I'm looking for something that will kind of pique my interest to lead me down some other rabbit hole where I'll actually get value. And yeah. usually I spend a couple minutes, I don't find it, I'm gone. But recently I saw a post you did and it was about porn. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, I don't know if I want to hear this. And I kind of like moved past it. And the next day it showed up again. Uh-huh. I think I moved past it. And the next day it showed up again. <laughs> and I think at the same time I was in some sort of conversation with my girlfriend about the impact of porn on like, we were having like a really small surface level conversation. Mm-hmm. And by the third time I saw this, I was like, I got to listen to this. There's, <laughs> but we used, instead of having, I mean, people, we can, people can go to your Facebook and find this. I'm sure it's still there. You didn't get rid of it. Yep. But um, we actually speak a little, the thing, the thing that I would love to hear about is the impact that you see and that you saw on men, especially because of what you were talking about, how it impacts us from such a young age, mm-hmm. which is really kind of what hit home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, yeah. you mean, you I'll, I'll give, yeah, yeah, no, that's good, man. I'll, I'll give, I'll give the bullet points. And again, this is just my perspective. I'm not like sure. a, I'm not like a clinical psychologist, but it seems pretty easy to put the pieces together, especially in my you, experience. Yeah. What's that? No, you, you made some really good points. That's why I want you to share it. And it's not, okay. again, we're not, we're not right. I'm not right. Thinking that they're good points, even right for me, they resonated. And I think that they're, they can resonate for a lot of men. So for sure. So here's the thing. According to research, this is actually real research data you can find. There's a website, yourbrainonporn.com. And it says that on average in the United States, males have their first exposure to pornographic images at the age of eight. And by the age of 11, on average, it is habitual to be looking at pornographic images, meaning like every day on a regular basis. So most boys, if we look at, at the science of it, most boys are hitting puberty sometime between the ages of 10 and 13 sometimes 14 for late bloomers. And so when, we, when these sexual feelings are first starting to arise, most boys are having their context of sexuality develop around pornography. Now, maybe all porn isn't bad, but let's just look at the dynamics of it, right? Porn is literally, in most cases, looking at a screen, watching two strangers come together and somehow lead to sex and have no relationship or in interaction with the people that are partaking in this. You're, you're literally, it's a voyeuristic relationship. You're watching from the outside and people don't even know you're there. You don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. And you're just watching this and then obviously pleasuring yourself. So that comes, that's like the Pavlov's dog thing. We, we create this feedback loop where I watch these images, I get aroused, I get, sex, I get sexual pleasure and satisfaction, boom, rinse and repeat. And then every single time we want to recreate that feeling, what are we going to do? Go back and do the same thing. 
So what I brought up when I was talking about it on that live, and I also did a podcast episode about it because it was a huge, people were really like interested in this men and women, you know, is when we grow up. So that 11 year old becomes an 18 year old, becomes a 25 year old who looks at women in the world like a, like a, like an, a never ending screen, right? So you go to the gym and you see a woman walking around in really tight, stretchy pants, you know, the kind of like the, the midriff showing. And if I've only ever had an intimate relationship with a woman from behind a screen for the majority of my life, then I'm going to watch her from a distance and have sexual thoughts about her. And she's going to feel that. And she's going to think I'm creeping on her. And it's just, it's, it's the behaviors that we're creating with this, within this culture. And it seems so obvious to me. And then you could even look at the feminine side or the female side of things where, you know, the pressures that are put on women to be pretty, to be presentable, to always look like they have their shit together, to be fit. Otherwise men don't want it. It's like, it's, it's amazing how much of a spiral that it is. And I believe it's destroying sexual intimacy because I don't know about you. I was raised in a household where my parents, they're still together, 34 years going strong. And I have never seen anything more intimate or romantic between my parents than maybe like a five or 10 second kiss. Not, not every day, even, you know, they, they'll hug the kiss on the cheek, but I never got to witness intimacy between my parents or really anyone around me when I was growing up, very conservative. Uh, so then what I learned about intimacy is, well, it has to do with meeting somebody very quickly leading to sex and not only not just sex, but like hardcore, like pounding, like not exactly the most romantic sex all the time. So those are like the broad strokes, right? And I think it's important to be in this dialogue because we have boys who are getting more access to screens and internet and these images at an earlier and earlier age. So if we really want to influence the culture and again, spiral it up to talking about hashtag me too, talking about rapes and sexual uh, objectification of women and, and sexual abuse, then we got to start looking at what we're teaching these young people, what they're learning and what we're modeling for them. Yeah, thanks. You hit that like really, I don't know how long, how long was the Facebook talk that you put up? I think the live was, it was less than 15 minutes, maybe okay. like 12 minutes. Yeah. And then the podcast episode was about the same. Yeah, you just, I mean, I think you really just well, really well covered the basics. And I think you said some of the things that resonated for me, which were, you know, I don't, I'm 37. How old are you? I'm 31. Okay. So we're like in the same, you know, but I, I grew up right in the tip of like when I got to, when I was in high school, junior high, the, like it was AOL, right? You were, you mm -hmm. were like in elementary school yep. and um, and, bef and I think, I think you even talk about this, like before that, it was like, you were trying to jerry rig your cable box to watch like Skinamax. Scramble, yeah. Like, scramble, yeah. Scramble, scramble porn on Showtime Cinemax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember, you know, seeing my first Playboys and all these things. And, um, yeah. but I, I like when you were talking about this, like how it, you know, we see it and how we see it the first time is, you know, who knows, like, it's probably different, but it's probably because of our friends and whatnot for most people, or mm -hmm. you find something in your house, you know, and, um, but it does quickly become, I remember being a little kid and like, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know how old I was. Right. But like waiting to get home for that, like experience of masturbation because of the Pavlov Pavlov's dog, like, you know, if I see this thing and I have this and it feels good and now I want it over and over and over again, but you don't think of anything. There's no connection, right? It feels mm -hmm. like really basic and it's, it's kind of, um, it's really automatic. There's no thought, there's no humanness in any of it. 
Mm-hmm. And I can totally identify with, you know, as a, as a grown man now, I don't, I don't want to be one who says, Hey, porn is bad or porn is, is good. It's not, it just is, it's not anything. It's more mm-hmm. about our relationship to it. Mm-hmm. But when we're 10, we don't have, we don't know what a relationship to something is. We're just, to yeah. your point, it is just put, it's like a blinders almost. Yeah. Um, and I think about, I had a conversation, I've had a lot of conversations recently with women um, where we talk about sex and how we know how to have sex even, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't know about, it doesn't sound like you. My parents didn't sit me down and give me a me conversation neither. on this is how it goes, right? No, no, no. But like the things that even if I look today as, as a, a guy who thinks he's pretty conscious about my relationship to sex and I keep analyzing and I keep looking at where it's coming from, the things that still typically turn me on are things that I saw in porn. Yep. And I know that women I've dated have gone to porn to look for like, how should they do things? Mm-hmm. And totally. when you think about it that way, it's like, wait a minute. This is a, tra- in, in, based on that, it's a training school. It's a tra- like, yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a training. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's, I don't know if I was sitting around with my, you know, if you and me, you have, you have a son and you have a second, a second child on the way. I don't have any kids, but if we were sitting around as two dads with, you know, your wife and let's say I was married and we were talking about how our kids were going to learn about sex. I don't mm-hmm. think either one of us would be like, Oh, let's go grab a porn and they'll just watch this and they'll figure out how to do all the things. Right. Right. Which is, which is interesting because it's brought up that conversation. My son is three and a half and we're blessed to be welcoming a daughter into the world. So it's, it's an even more real conversation for me because knowing that I have a daughter coming, it's like, wow, this world, I realized when I I realized about 10 years ago that this is not a safe world for women Mm -hmm. because of a lot of things that we collectively as a people have done a lot of the decisions we made. And I have a three and a half year old boy. And I know that he's going to be experiencing a lot of the things that I was at certain times. And so it's brought up this conversation between my wife and I, uh, how do we want to approach this? And I was even telling her, I was like, Hey, you know what? If we do one thing, right, let's always show our son what it looks like to love each other. Let's show him affection. Let's show him love. Let's show him respect and adoration. And we show him the other things too. We show him when we disagree, he sees us argue. We don't, we don't, only take that behind closed doors. You know, certain conversations we do, but we let him see the full spectrum of a relationship and to experience it. And I told her, I was like, when he starts getting older, let's let's not dial back our intimacy in front of him. Like I'm not saying that we should go at it in the living room while he's watching us, but I'm not gonna my, my parents pretended that they never had sex except to like make me and my brothers. <laughs> literally I, I had no i would yeah. i would believe even until i was like in college i would believe that my parents only had sex like three times to have me and my two brothers because <laughs> i just <laughs> there, there wasn't any sexual uh chemistry or anything that they they modeled for us so how what was i to learn from you said training what was my family and my environment training me to do with these sexual feelings that are going to come up anyway they're not going anywhere. It's going to happen for every single one of us unless our sexual equipment is removed, unless our hormones yeah. are taken out of our body. And we're seeing like so much of this. I don't, I don't even want to go down this path, but it's a clear example with everything that's coming up, like in the Catholic church, mm-hmm. you know, now there's this whole thing with nuns, like we're sex slaves and all the, the abuse, child abuse stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, without getting into any of it, like, if all we look at is, Hey, in Catholicism, 
sex sexuality is hyper and super repressed. Mm. So you can't, re- we can't repress anything. I mean, if we, if we don't breathe and then we let ourselves breathe, we're going to gasp for air. If we don't, um, if we don't eat and then all of a sudden we give ourselves food, we're going to think about when you don't feed a dog and then mm-hmm. you give it some food, you got to like slow it down. Cause it's going to choke to death. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of as a society, I hear what you're describing with your parents. My, mine wasn't exactly like that, but as a society, we were like hypersexually repressed in a way. And part mm-hmm. of this goes back to right, like America was founded by Puritans and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But in so many ways, we were, we have been sexually repressed or the things that we see, we always label as bad. So the, right. the stuff on TV or in movies is like not appropriate or bad. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, we would go as soon as we got the Internet, we would go buck wild <laughs> and have like almost no self-control when it comes to it. But we still have this like we all kind of pretend like it's not happening. Yeah, Which is what I love you're shining a light on something that is here and it's it's we got to look at it. Yeah, well, it's an invitation to a conversation. You know, like I like I said before, that's why I, I always like to come from that context because I don't think I know better than anybody else. All I know is what I believe in. And to be in conversation is to be in relationship. And I study a lot of native and indigenous ways, um, sit with a lot of elders and people who have a lot of ancestral wisdom. That's another thing. This is another rabbit hole we don't have to go down, but majority of people, especially of European descent or people who are children of immigrants who came to this country at some point, uh, don't know anything past their second or third generation ancestor. Whereas when you communicate with indigenous peoples, they the folklore and the oral tradition of storytelling still exists. So a lot of that wisdom that has transcended millennia is, is real stuff. The re- and everything else we're just guessing at. So when it comes to just being in this conversation and curiosity, we're always just looking to be in relationship with people on a deeper and deeper level. It's not, it's not necessarily agreement. That's why, that's why centralized government will never work you know, beyond like a hundred people, you can't govern millions of people under one governing body because there's just too many different belief systems, you know? So we, we got to find a better way. We got to find a better way for our, for our children. Cause there's, there's so many people can point to the surface surface issues, but when you really look at it, it's because we're all still thinking about ourselves first and foremost. You know, if we want to really be a global community, then we have to think generations into the future and, you know, many different degrees outside of our intimate circles, like our families. Yeah. yeah. We have to, we have to start thinking on that level. Yeah. And there's so, the only thing I would add, cause I think you said that really well and I don't, it, it all resonates. The, the only piece I, I want to add to that is the, that combined with our need to be right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like if oh. we're running around constantly, like, well, if, if I'm right, then they're wrong. Or if they're right, then I have to be wrong. And, Yes. You know, whether, whether or not it's, you know, right now we have a society, right. Where it's, we're not, we have rulers that don't go, that govern way more than a hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the saddest things is we can't get along. We can't do relationships with our family and our friends who don't agree with us right now. And we care about them. Mm. And so what do we do when we, I don't even know you and you disagree with me. Mm. We don't have any shot because yeah. you know, it's, it's the, I want to say righteousness is like on the forefront and, and, yeah. and everybody's overdrive. Well, I think that's, that's a really good point you bring up, man. I'm glad you threw that into the mix because I think that the reason why certain political figures and 
uh, leadership regimes are so reluctant to compromise because they're so afraid of having to admit that they don't know, that their way is not, quote unquote, the right way, as if there is a right way. You know, within politics, people are still in this conversation about what is the right way to do things. Even, yeah. even the, the definition of dialogue is running back and forth from one to another. It's, it's a conversation that needs to happen. And, and, and we're not doing that because we're, like you said, we're scared of being wrong because being wrong or, or not having the right answer means that we don't have value. And if we don't bring value, then we don't belong in the community. And if we don't belong in the community, then we're dead because we are communal beings. So man, it's, it's, it's such a tricky, I think about this a lot, man. We're, we're in the midst of a really tricky, uh, tricky time for humans. So many people, so many belief systems, so many different ways we could do things. And until we start really, really thinking about the planet and the future generations and how we want to be in relationship with not just each other as humans, but all things, then we're just going to keep going down the same road, arguing into our demise. I had a, um, I had a conversation recently. I'm not going to say who it was with, cause I don't know if they listen and I don't want them to, to be upset by this, but I think they'll be okay <laughs> saying it. But we were talking about, they, they are more, let's just say they're more conservative than I am. And I'm more liberal than they are. Mm-hmm. And we fall on opposite sides. Right. And I wouldn't say either one of us are at in the ends of the spectrum. We're probably mm-hmm. both closer to the middle somewhat mm-hmm. than the ends, but we're on the opposite sides. And we were having this conversation and it, we fell into this like right or wrong, their way is right or my way is right. And, and so there's, we're doing that, right? We can argue ourselves into oblivion or one of us just stops and it's pointless. And at one point they, they threw out some questioning, some, some specific political things that I said. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know what? I know this is the only thing I know about politics. My way doesn't work. <laughs> and you know what else I know? Your way doesn't work. Because we've tried both ways, right? Mm-hmm. There's been conservative presidents, there's been liberal presidents, there's been Democrats, there's been Republicans, there's been uh, there's been socialists, there's been fascists, there's been and not in this country necessarily, but all over, and none of it has worked. Mm-hmm. There's no country that's like working mm-hmm. to the level that at anyone anyone it's there's no country that's working to the point where like we're all loving each other and supporting each other and helping each other and uh, expanding, you know, and like, like it, it, there's no love-based economy, love, no love-based political system. Um, and the thing that we got to that was kind of cool was like, if we're so right uh, or stuck in the things that we know, we can't ever create the next thing that could be the thing, right? If it has to be conservatism or liberalism or Democrats or Republicans, then there's no th- other options. Mm-hmm. And so we've just ended it. And then we just get to repeat this same nonsense forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, this is, this will be a little bit of a, not a left turn, but like a slight left in our conversation uh, because of the work that I do and the work that I've done. I, when I get to a standstill in my own logic or beliefs, I, I go back to nature. I look at how is the rest of the world outside of humans? How's the rest of the world operating? And that's why I go and I take guys out into the wilderness because when you spend more than a day, right? Like not just a day hike, not just like a, you know, a sunrise to sunset in nature, but overnight and like really listening and getting into the rhythm of nature, you see how nature organizes itself. 
It's, it's everything. It's everything we experience as humans. It's, it's chaos, it's destruction, it's violent. Nature is very violent. Um, it's creative, it's life-giving. Life finds a way out in nature. And I look at that compared to what I experience in, in the human world. It, 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 the, the contrast is so so stark at this point, the way that we live as humans, at least in, in first world countries and what nature is doing all over the rest of the world. And so, you know, a lot of things like violence, right. You know, we, we are, you know, we, we have a consciousness, we have the ability to empathize. And so violence on people is something most of us agree is not a good thing, but violence in nature is what creates life. You know, one, one animal killing another animal leads to that animal and his or her children and, and grandchildren propagating. So I, I always resort back to that because it's a good reminder for me that we're living on this planet that is all of these things that we're trying to control, yet they're part of nature anyway. So if everything else in the world other than humans is doing things this way, then I have to believe that we're missing something, even if just just a little bit, you know? Yeah. it's. I just heard Tony Robbins talk about a... Um... He was talking to a woman, I heard this on his podcast, about a, a thing that she was dealing with and, and trauma that she had from her past. Mm. And he paused it and he went, you know, she was doing those horrible things to protect you. She didn't realize it. But her, if you go all the way back, her intention was she had suffered. So the best way she could come up with to prevent you from suffering the same way she did was to make, was to create these horrible stories and all this trauma. And that was just unfortunately the best way she knew, but he really made this strong point to talk about how everything horrible in this world probably started out with a positive intention hmm. and it, it, it got skewed. And he kind of goes into look and he takes your point. He goes, look at nature. Hmm. We look, we look at hurricanes as horrible. But if we didn't have a city, if it was just the natural terrain and there were hurricanes and tornadoes and brush fires, like fires is how we regrow, oh, right? Yeah. But we don't like it because our house burned down that we built on the space, which obviously doesn't display the take away from the loss of that human, that loss, whatever. Of course. But yeah. everything in nature, to your point, has a purpose. Right. And, and including humans. That's the thing is that a lot of us and a lot of human culture has created separation between us and nature, right? We put up walls, we put insulation in our houses, we put on heat and air conditioning so that we can be up against the elements instead of in relationship with them, right? So we've created separation and yet we're still a part of this planet. We're still a part of this organism. When you zoom out into space, you don't see humans, you don't see elephants and oak trees. You just see one breathing organism with everything on it playing its role. Yeah. And you got to get out of your, it's like, you, we have to get out of our heads to actually see that because when you're in nature and you're connecting, you're in your heart, you're connecting, there's something bigger going on and mm -hmm. it, it's, we become so dependent on our intellect and our mind and all our mind does is cut things apart, break things down, try to figure things out, which just creates, mm -hmm. it's like separate, 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 separate yeah. to be have a better understanding. And it, it's just, it's almost outdated. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's starting to run its course. I, I do believe that part of what everybody's feeling, a lot of people will call it the next, you know, economic depression. Some people will call it the collapse of the go of centralized government, whatever you want to call it. I think it's just, we're wearing out this strategy for existing 
as a species mm-hmm. on this planet. And we've never been more aware of the consequences of our actions than we are now. A lot of people are still trying to pretend it doesn't exist, but climate change is real. And it, the, the, the human impact on the environment is real, but everything's impacting the environment. So let's, let's be fair. You know, everything is having an impact on the environment. And regardless of whether we're speeding up climate change, it's going to happen. There's going to be another ice age. There's going to there's be all of that. So it's funny because then we come back to, well, then does what I'm doing as an individual, what is the purpose of that? How, how does my life matter if regardless of anything I do, the world is going to take care of itself anyway? And to be honest with you, man, that 23-year-old version of myself, that's where I got stuck. That's where I was in my darkness. That's where I was, how the hell am I going to make a positive impact on this planet when this is what it looks like? And that's why I had to go on that journey. That's why I had to leave everything that I knew to go and look for, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find how I would impact the planet. And, and, you know, going all the way back to that question you asked me in the the beginning, that's how I got here. That's how I got to what I do in my life. That's it. That question of how can I make my life have meaning is what got me to where I am right now. What do you think your purpose is as a human being? My personal purpose or everyone's purpose? My purpose. Your, your personal purpose. Mm. If I really reduce it to its simplest parts, it's yeah. to live a good life and to instill the values that matter to my children and to create community and culture that will last into the next several generations um, through my lineage and through the lineage of the people I'm closest to when we raise our kids together, you know, so that they have something that will help them survive the trials and tribulations of life on this planet. It's really it. You know, it's that, that is like the core essential component is to, is to be as good of a person as I can, as good of a man as I can, so that my son has somebody to model himself from. And so my daughter has a man, has the idea of what a man is so that she can someday marry a man. Or at least maybe if it's not a man, that a man knows what to look for in men in her life. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you do for yourself as practices to keep yourself kind of on, you know, if that's your intention, that's your goal or that's your purpose. What do you do on a daily basis? Like what are some of your practices that kind of keep you every day moving to that place? Yeah. It's funny. I got, I got asked this question a week ago on another podcast too. I used to have a lot of practices before I had a wife and a child. <laughs> you know, I, my morning used to be wake up, cold shower, meditation, movement, breakfast, boom. Like I already won my day in the first, you know, 90 minutes. Uh, nowadays, honestly, my, my answer to this question, my practice is being a father to a son. My practice is being a husband to a wife. My practice is being a mentor to men, being in my work, deeply in my work. And uh, I also do martial arts. I'm a capoeirista, so I practice capoeira. I exercise at the gym. I, I do a lot of uh, ceremony, sitting up in sweat lodges and teepee ceremonies, things like that. All of those to me are practices. I've gotten away from the rigors of the everyday practice that looks like this. I needed that back when I was a man with no direction, vision, or purpose. Now, my life is more about how do I create, how do I contribute to my life masterpiece today? And it always looks different. So my practice is being in the whirlwind of my life and staying focused on my, my vision and my mission for being here. You know, uh, Michael Singer, the author of Untethered Soul? Yes. Uh-huh. I don't know him personally, just, but I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just heard him. Uh, <laughs> I just heard a talk with him where he talks about 
the best, his idea of the best way to practice is actually in the course of life. Like you don't have to go move boulders. You can practice when the person cuts you off in the road. You can practice when, you know, you're drive, trying to drive fast and the person in front of you is driving slow. He's mm-hmm. like, it just, it can be these simple everyday things where you actually get conscious, get reflective, ask yourself questions in the moment. And then you're practicing all day long because stuff's mm-hmm. happening all day long. That's it. That's it. And it's different seasons, different practices too. You know, I'm sure when I'm in, when I'm an old man and I'm a grandfather and an elder, you know, I've thought about this too. I said, what, what, what will my, what will my purpose be then? And I can't, I, I, I try not to project it because it doesn't matter right now, but it'll change and it'll change during the different seasons of our lives. Like it has for me, even just in the past five years, my practices and my motivation and my, my vision have all shifted and evolved. It's dynamic like the rest of life. What's, what's kind of on the horizon. I know you have some like events coming up, but what do you see? You know, you can speak to those. Tell us, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about what man cave is, um, but also like what's, what's on the horizon. Like what are the big things coming up for you or the things that you want to be coming up that you actually haven't planted the seeds fully yet? That's a really great question. Um, so what's on the horizon for me is stepping deeper into this work really creating my, my vision. My mission right now is to create a community where men all over the world have an entry point to the support of brothers. And that, that has been one of, I'd say in the past 10 years of my life, that has made the singular biggest difference in me becoming who I am is having a circle of men that hold me accountable, that mirror back to me who I am, that, that help to help me to see what my value and my purpose is. So creating opportunities and, and teachings, uh, you know, whatever it is that invites and creates those spaces for men, that's, what's up for me right now. So anybody who wants to know all about the different ways that I do that, just go check me out on Facebook or Instagram, Jetty Azuma. That's where it's all at, but even farther out onto the horizon, like, and I, this is great, man. Cause I don't talk about this much on the podcast I do is educating the children. And so a lot of people look at me, they're like, Oh, he's the men's work guy. That's just my entry point because I know that men need support right now. And we need, we need this generation of men, our generation, you, me, and the guys that are coming up just behind us to be the best, most conscious, aware, and available fathers that we've ever seen in the world before. Like children really need that right now. So that's like phase one. <laughs> phase two is once we have the, that generation of conscious parents and not just, even if you don't have your own children, uncles and aunties like this, as we develop this global community, creating resources and educational systems that allow our children to access their gifts, not just tell them who they should be and how to create robots, but help them learn to identify what is their gift? What is their greatest joy and excitement and, and cultivate that over the course of the first two decades of life, instead of scrubbing that out and then filling it with needless stuff, like, you know, not needless stuff, but less important things like history and mathematics and sciences. Uh, so that's what that, my vision is to have land and to create spaces where boys and girls can come and spend time on the land. They get to, to spend time in ritual and ceremony to connect to the, to the natural elements, to creation, to all things. And then to, by, by proxy of that, connect with themselves and their truth. Cause I think that regardless of what this world's going to look like 20, 30, 50, a hundred years from now, we're going to, if people are still around, we're going to need people who are connected to their truth. 
I don't know why, as I was listening to you, I had, this is where my, where my next question and thought went. And I know we're, we're getting pretty close to wrapping up and I, and I really yeah. want to make sure we get this in. Um, your wife does similar work to you, yep. but with women. Yep. What's the, I'm going to, I'm totally generalizing here and I'm going to go with best and worst or, yeah. or most challenging maybe and most, but what yeah. is the, the, what's the best part of having a partner who is working on themselves, trying to grow themselves is also out there trying to support other people and doing the same. Mm-hmm. And what's the most challenging part of that? It's funny, man. I was, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, well, it's actually the best and the most challenging thing is that we are both so tuned in to each other's wounds and, and challenges and stories. So the, the hardest thing for us is not to, not to, not to coach each other all the time and not to be in this constant analysis and exposing and making assessments of each other and using the tools, like asking for permission. Cause sometimes it's like, I don't want you to be my coach right now. I want you to just be my wife. Like just be my wife for a minute, you know, and vice versa. She does the same thing to me. She's like, I don't need you to coach me. I just want you to listen, <laughs> you know? So the best part about it is that we're so committed to growth. It's one of our three family values that we agreed upon. It's like we're, everything we're going to do in our lives is going to be about service, about growth and about spirit our connection to spirit and our family's connection to spirit. So the best part about that is that we're always looking for ways to grow, to, to improve, to learn, to listen, to understand more deeply. And it's also the most challenging because we spend our whole day being out in the world, helping people to make discoveries. And so there's a different dynamic at play when it's your intimate partner of how to hold space for those discoveries uh, and not to get into, and, and even even before I ever got into personal development, it's always been a challenge of mine to not, to not bring my own judgments, assessments, and what I think someone should do in my relationship to the table and just be, be with them, love on them as a human, love their process. That's probably the hardest thing. It's just really loving their process so much that I can just be here and watch you be in your struggle and not have to fix it, especially as the man, <laughs> especially as, as yeah, the husband, the protector, the provider, you know? That's what we're so, taught, right? That's it. Uh, that's what I, I saw. It's so, so I um, my uh, my girlfriend owns a ranch, and there's a lot to do on a ranch. And the other day, we were we were rushing to try to do something, and she and she was like, "This is the plan. You're going to do this. You're going to feed the horses. You're going to do, and I'm going to do." And I went in, and I went to put on boots and a different pair of jeans, and I come outside, and she's doing the thing that she told me to do, <laughs> and. <laughs> And I don't, and I, and I got annoyed and I got angry and cause my mind went, Oh, I'm not good enough mm-hmm. to, you know, that's where I went automatically. And I kind of yep. snapped, we got in a little, like little fight. And, um, right when we were done actually doing the thing that we were doing, you know, I, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I, I came to the, like, that was all me. You didn't do yeah. anything. You were your intention was actually, you were just trying to help. Mm-hmm. And I made it mean something. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's really cool to hear you, you know, yeah, we do. We need to be human still, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had a human moment and, um, I think we need to embrace those, which is what I heard, right? Like there's times where you just get to be a husband, you just get to be a dad. Uh, and then there's times where, Hey, that's actually not okay. You also said something just now that I think is so brilliant that, I think it actually led me to think about that, that fight the other night, which is family values. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that, mm-hmm. but it makes perfect sense. Like it's something I want to create now. 
like whoever yeah. I'm with, like, Hey, what are our family values? What's our family's mission? Um, yeah. and almost as a, as a North star to have somewhere in your house that you're like, Hey, no, this is what we're committed to. Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, man. I, and I think not just, especially for families, but also as an individual, knowing what your values are and what you stand for in your life mm-hmm. and for, and getting clear on that before you go looking for a partner, because then you, when you have the conversation of, well, what would our family values be? Here's what my personal values are. Then you start to t- go to another level of how, com- how, how, how will this actually work? Does this actually, does your mission in life actually fit with mine in an objective way? You know, taking the emotion and the, the, you know, the, impulsiveness out of relationship, but actually looking at, are you up to the kind of things that I want to be up to in this life? So yeah, yeah, it's a, it was a big deal. My wife and I, we did it spontaneously. We just had a date night like two years ago and this is two and a half years into marriage. We had a date night and we were like, Hey, what are our values? I don't remember how it came up. We were just like, yeah, we never really, we, we have an idea of what they are, but we never clarified that. So it's ever since then, it's made a lot of decisions we've made really clear. Cause they go through that filter. Does it, is yeah. it lead to growth service spirit? We're in, if not bounce it out. Yeah. No, I think, and I think that's so it, it's so simple. Cause it's like, we have them every business. Well, if you're a business and you don't have a mission and values, you're, you're, you should sort of come back to the beginning and start over and build yeah. that. Cause other, how do you know where you're going? And same thing as individuals, I think it's really important, but I never have thought about it as in relationship. Um, mm. So thanks for that. I think that's such a, such an easy practice that anybody listening to this can go, wait a minute, you know, if I don't have it for me, I can go do that work, but then I can go forward. And I think that, you know, I, I think relationships are the, one of the best ways to grow. They're a built in, they're a built in uh, growth mechanism that, Hey, if it's a super easy, there's actually not a lot of room for growth that uh, the things that come up are the things that, you know, in, enable us to grow and challenge us and push ourselves. And whether we're alike or not alike, we're always going to have those things come up. Totally, man. I, I always say the two best personal development courses I've ever taken were marriage and parenthood <laughs> so far. Yeah. I don't know about parenthood yet, but I, I, can, ima- I can imagine. I mean, you know, there's no, all logic goes out the window, right? With a kid, all of a sudden it's just all heart and all emotion and reactivity man it's such a mixed bag that's definitely like a whole nother conversation to have (laughs) well jetty this thanks for co-creating this with me um it's really cool one of the things i'm really present to as i'm with you and i'm watching you is you have a a reverence and a a beingness of an elder already Mm. um it's kind of like i can see you know, when you're sitting across from somebody, I mean, you know this, but when there's a fire, like a bonfire and you're talking to somebody like on the other side, obviously it's not a big bonfire, but like a fire in the woods and the the way that kind of light and the energy reacts off that person. Mm -hmm. That's almost how I feel your presence in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this warmth, there's this glow, there's a powerful light, there's kindness. Um, But there's really a, a, the energy is a service to something bigger. Uh, so thanks for being that in the world. Thanks for sharing it here with me. Thanks for letting me share my stuff on your podcast. Um, and thanks for just being, you know, a guy. If people don't know who you are, you're somebody that I would follow. I don't, I don't just go follow anyone, but like I would tell people, go follow you. And the people that you're connected with are pretty fun people to follow too. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice uh, rabbit hole to get into that will inspire you, bring motivation, positivity, but really, um, I think integrity more than anything. 
Mm. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. The gift of that acknowledgement. Uh, I'm definitely taking all of that in. Uh, I'm experiencing a lift in my body right now. So I want you to know I really received that and grateful to be co-creating with you too, man. Uh, it was exciting to have you reach back out and to have this conversation farther down the road. I don't even know how far, how long ago it was, but I think when I interviewed you on The Rising Man, it, it was, you know, at least nine months ago, eight, eight, nine months ago, something like that. Yeah, I would, I would say at least, yeah, six, seven, eight months ago, something like that. But yeah. So yeah, to, to just see how we can keep spiraling back around and be in these conversations, man, it's, it's an honor. Thank you for having me here, man. You're welcome. If people want to find you, I know you said uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and your, and your website, it's all your name, Jetty Azuma. Yeah, I don't have a personal website set up, so definitely check me out, um, Jetty Azuma on Facebook, at Jetty Azuma on Instagram. Um, if you guys want to check out the podcast, it's on iTunes, The Rising Man Podcast, or therisingmanpodcast.com. I pretty much announce everything that I'm doing through those portals, so anybody who's interested wants to hear more. You can also, I'm a real person, so if you want to hit me up on Messenger, I'll get back to you and happy to start a dialogue with anybody. So that's, that's Yeah, that's how we met, so it's totally possible. You can actually reach out to him online. Um, and <laughs> all the like the vision quests the you know the rites of passage retreat those people can find all those dates and everything on you know like through the podcast basically yeah it's all out there it's on my social media um, i'll throw the website out for uh, elements is the three-day immersion that i do it's rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements i don't even have a website up for compass which is the vision quest so if you want to if you want to know more about what that is then hit me up directly because that's how i'm enrolling people in that because it's it's a big it's a big step forward. It's a big step in, in the development. So I want people who are really into it to come out. Awesome. Well, thanks for all that you're doing. And uh, I hope to have you back on here in, uh, in the future when, you know, new conversation. But yeah, I know you'll bring something. Yeah. So thanks. Anytime, again. man. You say the word. Thank you, bro. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason Podcast. Please subscribe to the Dream Mason Podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with a friend and give us a review on iTunes. I am grateful to have had you here. If you want more, you can follow or reach out to me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex or at thedreammason.com or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.